Hey frothers, welcome back to the EDGM podcast. This week I'm chatting to Kobe about type 1 diabetes. Kobe is 10, you're going to love this story. We hear from Kobe, we also hear from his parents. His um, mum is a emergency nurse, his dad is an intensive care paramedic. We're also going to hear from an endocrinologist as well about um, diabetes. This episode is going to be epic, you're going to love it. You. Mum, every time I close my eyes, I'm picturing ice because I'm th- so thirsty. Wow. Every time I close my eyes, I'm picturing ice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was at that point mm. that I started to think maybe this is type 1. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yes. So, then we booked a GP appointment. Yeah. Yep. I was just going to say that there was one night, um, and we knew he was getting really thirsty, but there was one night he came in, he was in tears, and so I just cannot drink enough. You know, yeah. he's so yeah. thirsty. So I was like, oh, here we go. Welcome to the ED Jam. When I was recording this podcast, I wanted to hear from Kobe and obviously his parents because they were impacted heavily by Kobe's diagnosis with diabetes. I also thought it would be really good to chat with somebody who knew more about diabetes. And guess what? I actually got to chat with Kobe's doctor, which is Maria Craig. Um, but I was so grateful that, that she took out of her time to come and talk on the podcast. Before we listen to Kobe's story, I thought it would be really helpful to listen to Maria's explanation of type 1 diabetes. Thanks, Ben. It's a thrill to be here. I'm a paediatric endocrinologist. Um, I work at St George Hospital and the Children's Hospital Westmead. And I look after a cohort of children and adolescents with type 1 diabetes at both hospitals. Um, And so my role is as part of the multidisciplinary diabetes team. And I think that's really important to emphasise right up front that managing type 1 diabetes is a team approach and it's not just seeing the doctor it's seeing the diabetes educator seeing the dietitian seeing the exercise physiologist the social worker the psychologist as needed so i'm part of a team yeah so type 1 diabetes is a condition where the immune system attacks the insulin producing cells in the pancreas pancreas is the gland right sort of in the center of your abdomen that makes insulin and other hormones and digestive enzymes. And the really curious thing about type 1 diabetes is is that it specifically attacks those insulin-producing cells. So there's there's some trigger, and it's very likely that it's a virus, and that's been my major research area, but it's very likely that a virus sets the process off and then the immune system goes and attacks those insulin-producing cells and damages them and, and destroys the bulk of them. Not necessarily all of them, but enough that you can't get by normally. So mm. you're not you're you're not able to maintain your blood glucose level, and therefore you start getting um, passing lots of urine because you're just weighing out glucose and carbohydrates. You get very thirsty, and then eventually you you know you about a third of 
young people progress to being quite unwell on in something called diabetic ketoacidosis. But it's basically um, a condition that affects what, about one in 300 young people. Wow. We know there's a genetic predisposition that about 10% of the population have. So most people who have a genetic predisposition actually don't get the disease if you do the maths. Yeah. And I think also really importantly, it's not a condition that runs strongly in families. Mm. So it is true that if you have type one diabetes, there's about a five or one in 5% or one in 20 risk that a, a sibling or parent mm. can develop type one diabetes, but that's actually a 95% risk that they won't. Yeah. Um, and actually more than 90% of young people who present to you know children's hospitals across the world we know from big data studies 90% don't have a relative so it's it's a it's a different condition from something like thalassemia or cystic fibrosis or something where we know there's a very strong genetic component it's a it, it's a complex condition where there's this genetic component and then you've got to come across an environmental factor and as I said probably a virus and that's why it has been such a challenge to uh, prevent and find a cure because it, it's, it's scattered across the community. Mm. Is there any virus that's particularly you've in your research that you've linked to type 1? Yeah yeah and there's a yes so a, a big family of viruses called enteroviruses mm -hmm. and yeah uh, my PhD and my sort of 25-year research career has been focused on enteroviruses and there are a number of groups around the world that have also done work in this area and there is actually a fantastic group in Finland led by someone called Heki, Heki Hoyerty mm -hmm. uh, and they are developing an enterovirus vaccine. So we're actually entering a really uh, exciting phase in type 1 diabetes where there are a number of groups around the world that are screening children at birth for the risk genes and then following them up for early immune markers of type 1 diabetes. And the plan is then to introduce a vaccine. Wow. So it's a bit of watch this space. It's not happening tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> although the population screening in Australia actually is, it's going to be launched in July as a pilot program. So it's a, especially for me, having been involved in this area for 40 years, <laughs> since I was a medical student I'm not that old but yeah um, uh, it's a very exciting time for being able to prevent type 1 diabetes and also prevent children roll, rocking up to hospital like Kobe unwell because um, mm. you know, they had no idea that they were on the pathway to developing type 1 diabetes catch you all up to speed this podcast episode is about type 1 diabetes and it's about Kobe's diagnosis with type 1 we've heard from his doctor Dr Marie Craig and we're going to hear from his parents as well but I want to find out a little bit more about Kobe I'm 10 and a half turning 11 Woo! awesome cool that's cool um and what do you like to do mate what are some things you like to do um well, yeah what things do you like you got a swimming t-shirt on there I reckon you're yeah, a swimmer yeah I like swimming a lot. Yeah. Um, I also like riding my bike and building Legos. Do you? Fun stuff like that. Cool. Do you watch? Have you watched Lego Masters before? Yeah. Do you like I'm it? Excited for the final week. <laughs> <laughs> my kids love it. Eh? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. What kind of things do you build with Lego? 
cars, houses. Yeah. Just streets. Oh, you got some Lego here. Yeah. Look at all that. I love it how it's on that little basket so you can pull it and everything goes yeah. back together. Yeah. I'm sure Dad doesn't appreciate a Lego no. at, at one in the morning on the, under the foot. That that um, that whole setup is probably as old as I am. So really? That, I've had that since I was a kid, yes. No way. So I've kept that. Yeah, I thought, I'll keep that as a keepsake for the kids, you know. Look so, at it. And they're into it, yeah. So, I don't think it yeah. will ever age Lego, no. in my opinion. No. I love it, no I love way. it. Um, and you said you like to swim as well and ride yeah. bikes. Do you ride a, um, a push bike or a mountain bike? What's your favourite? Uh, mountain bike. Awesome, that's good. Yeah. Wearing your helmet? Yeah, Good always. man, that's what I want to hear. Especially with a trauma nurse uh, right next to you, mum. <laughs> You're going to slap around the head if you weren't wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and swimming, talk to me about swimming. Yeah, I swim in a state-level state squad with... A really nice coach. Yep. She's like a grandma. And yeah, yeah, pretty good. What got you into swimming, mate? Why did you like swimming? Um, my granddad, mm. when he was about forty or so, he held a world record for two hundred breaststroke. What? In for his age, so yeah, and uh, he coaches us a lot. Wow, good. that must be amazing. Yeah. They've got other siblings. Yeah. So. Yep. So Noah, the oldest, is 16 yeah. and Holly is 14. And you're the, you're the number, the last one. Yeah. That's it. They sometimes say the last one's a little bit of trouble. Is that you? Yeah. <laughs> there was a delay there, mate. I'm going to scare with yes. <laughs> um, so I want to know a little bit about um, your life and what's been happening over the last few years. Diagnosed with diabetes. So I'd like to know a little bit about how that happened from your point of view, if you could talk me through that. Yeah. However, yeah, from your story, bro. Yeah, so, um, basically, what happened first is I, I noticed I was drinking a lot more and I was a lot more hungry mm -hmm. and I was going to the toilet a lot more. And then mum and dad took me for a blood test and, um, after the blood test, they said I have type one, and mm -hmm. then I went to the hospital, um, and they checked my blood sugar level, and it was about thirty point five. Whoa! It was really high, yeah. and yeah, I felt sick, and I was very skinny and small. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then it just happened from there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and when you said that you went to the hospital, did you go to a hospital where mum had worked before or a place that um, you felt familiar? I went to Sydney Children's Hospital, wow. which is, yeah. yeah, I felt familiar there and I, yeah. it was comfortable. Cool. Have you ever heard of diabetes before that day? Have you ever heard of it? No. No. Okay. So, yep. I was pretty shocked when mum and dad said that. I was like, what's that? <laughs> that must have been hard. What things make it hard for you? Or when you heard that, um, did you have people around you, mum and dad? or? Yep. Yeah, mum and dad were with me. So, yep. yeah, okay. that's good. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I guess I'm stunned because it's so interesting to imagine it from a different perspective as a kid. So often myself or even your mum and dad have been in those situations where we're in the hospital and we're normally looking after someone like yourself. Yeah. So did you see any other kids there when you were at hospital? I saw one of my friends. No way. Ah, uh, yeah. He's uh, in a wheelchair. Okay. And so, 
That's good, mate. That's awesome. Kobe's diagnosis alone didn't just affect him. It also affected his mum and his dad. His mum being an emergency nurse and dad being an intensive care paramedic. Let's have a listen to how they took Kobe's diagnosis. Heartbreaking, but um, yeah, whole new journey, eh? Mm. Yeah. 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 I think um, one of the things that kind of stood out was I think they actually expected that we would mm. know no, what to do. On. Yeah. And while we it's, like we had predicted, we had predicted the diagnosis already mm. by the time we took him to the GP. We had never had to care for someone on a day-to-day basis with it. Yeah. We'd only seen the extremes. Mm. So that was tough. And Dave actually had to say that to the diabetes educator in the hospital. Like, please treat us like you would everyone Everyone else. else. Because we haven't had to do this Mm. before. Yeah, give us the A to Z of management. Not just the abbreviated version. Yeah, Yeah. I've I've dealt with the, the super lows, unconscious, and the highs, but... Manage, management day to day mm. um, no. yeah that's that's a new kettle of fish for us and how to keep that going mm. run so. me through the when Cobes when you guys first noticed difference with Kobe and what was happening um, I think the main difference was increased urination yep. which we noticed both day and night we were noticing um, sometimes it was like hard for him to get to the toilet quick enough yep. just because he was desperate a lot uh, and then we and we thought actually originally that it was a UTI. Okay. So he's at, in our clinician already toilet trained at the CC. Absolutely. Yep. Ready yeah, to go. Six yep. years of age. Year one. Sorry, talk about the stuff going yeah. as well, mate. All right. <laughs> you can hear us later, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we started thinking alternative ideas at this stage, um, maybe a UTI or something else. Yep. Turned out it wasn't that. Yeah. Um, and then we noticed he was a bit more listless eating a lot and drinking a lot. Yeah. And then in the last... And this probably progressed quite sort of insidiously for about a month, actually. Yes. And then in the last week before, we did start to notice the keto breath. Okay. So you notice him, like, going to the kitchen more to grab food and yep. drink? Yes. Did he say, I'm drinking more? No. Yes, mm. yep. he did. Oh, here we go. Mm. Yeah. And we already had the appointment yep. at that stage. Mm. Yeah. So we booked mm. it for, like, an 8 o'clock Monday morning appointment, yep. thinking we would fast mm. him for bloods. Uh, smart parents, I like yeah. it. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can we do two things at once? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then the GP mm. called uh, just after lunch that mm. day That's and it. said, yeah, he's quite unwell mm. and it is type one and off the scoop. Mm. Yeah. He called you to tell you that it was type one? He yeah. did. Where were you when you got the call? We were at home. Mm. Um, and even though we knew that that was what was coming, it was confronting, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and I sort of said, oh, I feel like I've got a bunch of balloons mm. and and we keep getting these little confirmations and mm. they just kept getting popped out. Wow. Yeah, so that's how it felt to me. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, going back to that Sunday before we went to the GPs, like Kobe's very uh, energetic boy, likes yeah. to play and ride and we will out the front with our neighbours uh, as we would on a Sunday afternoon yeah. um, and he just wanted to sit on his on the chair with a blanket around him which is unusual for yeah, you very, very much yeah interesting it's heartbreaking to see him like that mm. Um, mm. and knowing what may be coming you know yeah, yeah. Mm. and you've still got uh, not being rude but you're like we've just seen another kid walk in the house yeah. you've still got other kids to look yeah. after as well yeah 
Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Family yeah. family life doesn't you stop, still right? Yeah. Get the washing in, yeah. you still got to do the shopping. Yep. Yeah. Not being rude, but you still have other children that have got to go to sport and stuff. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And that, that was tough, and it was a balance for quite mm. a while, actually, to try and ensure we were parenting them and addressing their needs as well as doing what we had to do to keep Kobe alive, really. How did you tell Kobe? Did you tell him before when he got home from school, if you don't mind me asking? Or how did, did you wait to the, go to the GP? I think when we took him to the GP, we had said that we thought it was something called yeah. diabetes. Yeah. 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 From the beginning, we've, and we've always tried to be fairly open with our yeah. kids. Um, I think that's probably one of the things that's been good about this in, in that there's been no surprise yeah. um, and it's a journey for us all. It's not just, you know, we're, we're here to support Cobes, even though it's his, yeah. we all do it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, so I think that's that's what sort of helped us all yeah. to do it. So, yeah. Is there any diabetes in the family, if you don't want me asking? No. 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 Distant relatives, but yeah, no, no close relatives like that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Which might be why it took us a while to yeah. kind of put the pieces together. Yeah. I think. Yeah. If now obviously if any of the others had similar symptoms, we would go straight there. Yeah. But it's not the first thing on your like no. on your hit list, is it? No you know way. what I mean? You don't go, no. Oh no. He's going he's drinking a bit more water. Like yeah. I mean, this kid's swimming all the time, he's got other things going on like Yeah. That's right. And that, that is the tricky thing with type 1 because the symptoms are so benign in and of themselves. Yes. It's only when they form a mm. puzzle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it, yeah. It mm. takes a while for it to get to its full-blown state. Yes. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And going to the GP, I, I think you were at work that day. Um, I took Kobe to the GP and mm. it wasn't our regular GP. but um, mm. And he was lovely. Um, but, you know, I was sort of t- telling him the story. Um giving him the handover so to speak and mm. and i was like this is type 1 diabetes is i've just said it you know so mm. this is the whole the whole picture is what it is it's like wow okay mm. <laughs> even though i was hoping that it wouldn't be you know it's like yeah. what do you think it could be and do you think it could be something else but hopefully it's just a uti yeah um yeah. but the whole picture it was classic signs you know he's, he's drinking a lot of water he mm. can't stop urinating he's so hungry but he's losing weight mm. you know yeah. all those things yeah. When you talked about sort of like you, mm. you know, had seen symptoms for ages, but it's not the first thing you jump at. Did you, did your clinician head talk to you and say, oh, what you know that, what if or why didn't I? I'm just always interested because I know working with you previously, you're such a. Um, it's so easy for us as clinicians to have our clinician hat on. Yeah. Um, I've done the same with, with my daughter with croup. I was like, oh, she's fine. And then actually, a few times she's actually been really, really sick. I'm like an idiot. I should have. Yeah. Can't control this one at home. This is probably super sick. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm. I wrestled with that for a while and wondered if we'd done it earlier. You know, well, I know the outcome would have been different. It wouldn't yeah. have been any right. different. But I, you know, just felt that, mm. yeah, I, I guess you just wrestle with that as a parent. Mm. And for us, there was a lot of, um, you know, did we do something that had led to this, even yeah. though we knew that it was autoimmune and yeah. there was nothing we could have done about it. Mm. Yeah. Daniil's comments got me thinking a little bit more about diabetes. Was Kobe's case a bit rare that he was so young? I asked Maria a few questions about diagnosis from diabetes type 1, especially when kids generally get diagnosed. Yeah, so no, type 1 diabetes rarely occurs before age six months and in fact 
it's very unusual. I've probably only seen a couple of children who've developed type one before 12 months of age. Okay. And they, but having said that, you, you can develop those immune markers in the first couple of years of age. But then though some children progress quite quickly and some progress more gradually. And so you do see type one diabetes actually throughout life. The peak age of onset is during adolescence around puberty. So 13, 14, 15, that's the most common age to develop type one diabetes. And that's probably because you've had this ongoing attack from your immune system on those insulin producing cells in the pancreas. And then uh, you, you know, you get a virus or puberty or a combination of factors, and then that tips you over the edge. Hmm. That's interesting. But about 50% of people who get type 1 diabetes actually get the disease as adults. Okay. And that's another whole big issue, which you may or might not want to talk about, but you know, often GPs will, or even you know, in the emergency department setting, they'll see someone, they've got symptoms of diabetes, they're 40 years old and they say oh you must be type 2 hmm. they may or may not be overweight and then they do the immune markers in the in the blood they measure them and then they go oh well actually you're type 1 hmm. that's interesting too and even for the patient too, imagine they'd be thinking oh yeah you know I've got this covered with you know different diet yeah I just yeah. gotta just look after my diet and do a bit yeah. of exercise and I'll be fine and yeah it's not the case. Yeah. No, wow. Um, how is um how do we diagnose type one diabetes or um or clinicians, how do they or and yourself, how do you generally diagnose type one diabetes? So, like anything in medicine, there's taking a good history from the, the person and their family. Yeah. Um, and you can actually really diagnose diabetes on history. If okay. you are weighing a lot and drinking a lot and you've lost weight, then it's extremely likely that you have type one diabetes. And if we look in the third world where there aren't resources to do testing, you'd make that diagnosis. But of course, there are other very rare conditions that where you can wear a lot and drink a lot yeah. and lose weight and it's not type one, but that, that would be, or type two, that would be very rare. But the way we confirm the diagnosis is, is that we do a finger prick blood test that shows that your blood glucose level is above 11.1 and in the context of having symptoms the ones that I just described that is diabetes um, we also usually will do HbA1c which is a, a measure of your average glucose in the last three months again that's done either as a finger prick or a blood test and if that is above the normal range then that too clinches the diagnosis but from my personal experience if someone comes into emergency and they've got very clear symptoms of weighing a lot, drinking a lot, losing weight, mm. then it's diabetes. Having said that, it's important for people on the podcast to know that there are some kids that go through phases where they drink a lot and wear a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know, hot weather or whatever. And yeah. so it is important to have that glucose level in the HbA1c to confirm that it is type 1 diabetes. But generally it's it's pretty clear yeah and then we do do those immune markers as yeah. i said both in young people and adults to confirm that it's type 1 diabetes it would be very rare for somebody under about 12 years of age to have type 2 diabetes extremely rare 
occasionally we will see adolescents, particularly if they're overweight or from are from high risk ethnic groups that might have type two, but the vast majority of young people with those sort of symptoms and an elevated blood glucose, they will have type 1 diabetes. So often than not, we in emergency love our numbers, um, but it's so good. The, the, the clinical history is such an important part of our patient's journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and also listening to the parent and they come in and they say, you know, and it, often it happens when families are on holidays and, you know, they're, 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 you know, the, the kid normally in the house might sleep in one end of the house and the parents in the other house. So they don't notice the child's getting up three or four times a night to pass urine. I mean, sometimes if there's bedwetting or something, you know, the parents will, 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 will be aware. Mm. But often, particularly with adolescents, they'll go away on holidays and the parents will go, what's going on? They're getting up, you know. And, and you know, teenagers eat and drink a lot because they're going through puberty. And so parents might not be so aware, but it's often, it's that, history from the family Mm. this is not right my kid you know getting up three or four times a night to pass urine that's not right yeah Kobe mentioned that which was quite interesting when I was chatting with him about he was dreaming about being um about being thirsty and about ice because he was so thirsty oh gosh yeah I've not heard that before that's really interesting isn't it yeah because I'm just dad I'm dreaming about um ice because I'm just so thirsty and I was like wow that's a I've never heard of that before. So I was. No, uh, to be yeah. honest with you, nor have I, but um, that's, yeah. But I mean, I guess it's just, you know, his brain is going, I know I'm thirsty. Um, and what are some of the complications around diabetes and diagnosis? I guess you sort of have described some of those. Um, and what are the risk factors, you know, when patients come in with type one that we can see? So about a third of young people and so children and adolescents will come in in something called ketoacidosis and what that means is is that that the process has been either going on for a long time or has occurred very aggressively so they've gone from being completely well to going downhill very quickly and that's often in association with an infection and they are unable to use any of the glucose or carbohydrates that their body's ingesting so you know carbohydrates being you know rice bread pasta etc and so because they're not you know their insulin their body's shut off insulin and so what happens is is that because they're not getting any energy from because glucose is your essential fuel for energy their body is desperate to use an alternative source of fuel for their brain and their muscle and what they what the body does is it makes these things called ketones and of course people know that probably know about ketones from keto diets and whatever mm-hmm. and their diets you know where people don't eat any carbohydrate and that's what the body does if you're not consuming any carbohydrate it needs to find an alternative fuel source but in the setting of developing diabetes there people are often consuming lots of carbohydrates they're drinking soft drink they're you know they're eating and eating but it's just all getting weed out because they're not making any insulin and and so the byproduct of that process is the ketones and if that goes on particularly for more than a you know a day or two then they make acid in their blood and that's where the term diabetic keto acidosis comes from and those children will Will, or young people will come into hospital, they'll be extremely lethargic, they'll have a rapid heart rate, they'll be very dehydrated and often very unwell and sometimes end up in intensive care, sometimes need to be shipped to a, you know, one of the children's hospitals. 
And very rarely that can also then lead to something called cerebral edema or brain swelling. Mm. Fortunately, we don't see, I mean, as I said, it's about a third of children, but it, it, you know, it varies. Mm. Fortunately, we don't see any of the really severe end of the spectrum in Australia. Um, certainly, if you look internationally, it, uh, you, you can die from diabetic ketoacidosis if the diagnosis is not made, but that is exceedingly rare in Australia, which is good. But mm. nevertheless, it is, I think, really important that we acknowledge that, that there needs to be better community awareness of the symptoms of diabetes. And so weighing a lot, drinking a lot, losing weight, get a blood glucose level check and that's there have certainly been awareness campaigns that have been conducted yeah. both you know in Australia and internationally that have helped reduce that that risk of coming in in ketoacidosis mm -hmm. my, my first Maria my first um, patient that I remember quite unwell was a, a seven-year-old that came off a flight from Fiji and all the family were vomiting they said it was like a vomiting bug and I still remember this one and that came in and I um but to my, you know, failings, I didn't do a sugar. I tried and I think I didn't put the thing in properly. So got distracted, obviously, said I would do it again, forgot. And then it wasn't until the kid kept vomiting, had some dantatron, didn't work, that we actually they look, started to look a bit unwell. And I repeated a, a sugar. I remember going to the, do it. We got some bloods. They eventually got a cannula because the kid looked unwell. And I went to the gas machine and still um, I looked like a ghost because I came back with a sugar of 25. Mm, yeah, and I still remember and the pH of like seven point one or something. No, Benjamin, oh. you must not feel bad. That is an extremely common occurrence, yeah. and um, and that's partly because you know, and so I didn't mention that with diabetic ketoacidosis. You know, once you get sick, you 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 do vomit. Mm. Um, and the other thing is is that you um breathe very rapidly because your body's actually trying to compensate for the mm. acid, and so the way your body compensates for the acid is rapid breathing which you probably know um and so sometimes these kids come into emergency and they're given bentolin because people yeah. think oh they're breathing rapidly they've got asthma yeah. they don't look well um it's a it's actually extremely common particularly in the younger children and i'll never forget a scenario and tell me to shut up if i'm talking no, too good. Good. but <laughs> never forget a scenario of a, of a of a girl who um she was a, a, a toddler um, still in nappies, turned up to the emergency department, didn't look well. And mum, you know, mum said, look, she, you know, she's not right. She seems to be drinking a lot. She's lethargic. And the doctor asked, well, is, you know, has she got wet nappies? And, and the mum said, oh, yeah, she's got lots of wet nappies. And so the doctor sent her home because in paediatrics, we're taught, well, if you, you know, you, you ask the question, do you have enough wet nappies? And if you've got enough wet nappies, then you're not dehydrated. But in fact, obviously, she had excessive wet nappies. So it, it is important in that younger age group to be really meticulous about, you know, clinical assessment, taking a proper history, looking at weight. So not just looking at wet nappies, but how much they're drinking and, you know, the, don't forget to do a BGL. Yeah. It was really interesting listening to Maria um, unpack a bit of statistics in relation to the diagnosis of diabetes. I was also interested when I was actually interviewing Dave um, and Tanil by themselves, when Kobe was talking, I could really see that some points were really niggling at the heartstrings of Dave. So I really wanted to ask what his um, experience was like when he was in the hospital and when Kobe was being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. How did he feel specifically? 
Good. And you guys have looked after a fair few people with diabetes, whether or not it's yourself, Dave, you know, yeah. going to a house with a kid who's got... Yep. Yeah. Um, not many kids, funny enough, Yeah. Um, in my career, and that's probably been unique for my experience, but mm. a lot of adults. A lot of adults. Yeah. Um, you know, and people, you know, unconscious hypos, you know, and I've seen... Seen the other side of it too, unconscious with, uh, you know, super high sugars and Gushmol's yeah. breathing, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And you, you don't see that very often, but I've been, mm. not, I wouldn't say fortunate enough, but in a clinical sense, mm. fortunate enough to see that yep. and experience that. Um, so that's why when when we took Kobe into the kids' hospital, uh, the, the educators come around and they're like, oh, you, you guys are clinicians, no worries. You've got a good understanding. So we'll hang on. Can you please treat us like any other parents? Did you say that to the people? Yeah, yeah. You did? Yeah. That's powerful in itself. Was that hard to do? Yeah. Yeah, Mm. it was really hard. Yeah. Because I I think Mm. we understood the pathophysiology, but we didn't have that emotional attachment and we didn't know how to do it every day. Mm. No, sorry, mate. No, no, don't be sorry. Like, you shouldn't be sorry at all. No, at that point, like you know, we're we're parents, and we have to we want the best for Kobe and to manage him. So, you know, please tell us the A to Z of managing diabetes. You know, yeah. yeah. Does it hurt because it's your son as well? Oh, okay. I know it hurts because yeah. it's your son, but does it hurt because there's something else? Like, do you know? What I, I, mean? I just think um, well, there's a lot of. I think we we're just talking about this earlier. Like, the, it's the the hopes you have for your kids, mm. and not that. Diabetes wasn't part of that. Yeah, you yes. know, and there's grief. Yeah, there's and and it's the grief of that, um, and not to say that Kobe's not a superhuman kid because he's amazing, he's amazingly awesome. brave, and I'm super proud of him. Yeah. Um, but it's that journey, and I guess you know we haven't really sat down and talked much through it. You know. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So mm. it's an it's an and talking about it's an emotional journey. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess that's why I'm... No, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's beautiful because yeah. I think I feel privileged to talk, but also even driving here, I call my sister. I'm like, ah, oh. you know, I also don't want to ask questions that can make people feel uncomfortable in the sense mm. that I know that it's his life and yeah. I, I'm not living in Kobe's shoes. Yeah. The other thing was just a raw emotion from Dave, um, which was so beautiful to see. And just their family... Um, you know, you felt instantly at home when you walked in their house and just how caring and loving they were towards each other. That um, in, in Kobe having diabetes, the whole family took that on, um, that each of them took on their own responsibilities in a different way. Um, and that it just showed me that when a, you know, a patient's family has something wrong with them, um, that everyone, you know, gets on board. I then thought I'd ask Kobe how he copes with it. What gets you through those down days when you feel down? Focusing on the bright side. Yeah. Uh, usually, texting my friends, going out with the, our neighbours, and yeah. Punch the bag. Yeah. 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 Sometimes you've got a bag, bag to punch. Punching bag and some meat, don't you? Good on you. Yeah. Get, get the aggression out. Sometimes that's important. Hundred yeah. percent. Especially for a bloke. Oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because sometimes it's just. Yeah, it's like I hate this and yeah, mm. really hate it, but that's good to do, eh? Mm. I'd say 98% yeah. of the time he's really optimistic, but yeah. you've had tough yeah. times. 
haven't you? Have you always been a positive kid? Have you always been a positive? Always. Always Very positive. resilient, very positive. <sighs> kind of just that brightness, really, mm. aren't you, mate? Mm. Wakes up with a smile. Yeah, always. Always has done. It's hard when you have your bad days when you're like that. I'm someone who's pretty similar to you, mate. Mm. It's hard because mm. people always expect you to be the happy, funny person. Yeah. When you have the bad days, it's tough. Mm. It is tough, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Once, actually, that was funny. He got off the bus one day. I can't remember why. I was like, are you alright? He's like, no, my penis is shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, I remember walking up the hill. And he was about yeah. six. It was like a few months after diagnosis. Yeah. And I was like, yep, couldn't argue. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it is, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you're allowed to have those. Yeah. 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 Raw emotions, I think. Yeah. Because if you don't That's express right. them, then you just bottle them up and then yeah. you get. Yeah. That's right. More angry down the track, yeah. you can actually address it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. so true. Mm. You always say that those days are okay, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just have those one one day every now and then. <laughs> that allowance is fine. Mm. Yeah. So much you can learn from it. Mm. Let's jump back to Maria and listen to her explain the management of type 1 diabetes. And also, I had a bit of a question in relation to DKA in kids as well. Let's listen to that. Um, yeah, yeah, so I'm the editor of the International Paediatric Diabetes Guidelines and, and they have been um, collated with expertise, you know, like mm. super, super experts from around the world, including um, a woman called Nicole, an, a doctor, yep. emergency physician called, no, sorry, an ICU person called Nicole Glasser. Mm. And there's been quite a lot of research on, on how to manage DKA in young people, you know, papers in the New England Journal and so forth. And, and what they've shown is, is that the most important thing is, is that you give a bit of fluid to start because young people are often, when they're in DKA, are really severely dehydrated. But you generally don't need to wait longer than an hour. And then you start your insulin. I guess the difference between children and adults is the fluid is given based on weight. So obviously a child could be 10 kilos, 20 kilos, you know, 40, 50, whereas, you know, average adult weight, weight is generally much more than that. So in adults, you tend to just go bang 500 mils, whereas in children, we're more meticulous with the calculations because yeah. you obviously wouldn't want to give half a litre of fluid to a 10 kilo child. Not at all. So, but otherwise, the principles are still the same. Yep. The, yep. You know, the principles for managing DKA are... You need fluid, you need insulin, you generally need to give um, potassium and sodium because they've often all been, you know, weed out in the, because you're just weighing out so much. Um, and, and yeah, and then move, move to giving insulin as an injection. Yeah. Um, how do we manage, like, let's just say, for instance, type one, as in you, good example, like Kobe's case, um, he was diagnosed with having a high sugar uh, he had a clinical history where he had, um, he was, you know, weighing frequently, increased thirst, uh, and you've done all your markers and they've come back as being positive for having, you know, a clinical history of diabetes type one. What happens then from, uh, as a clinician yourself, do you meet with families and have a discussion with them and Yeah. There? So look, I'll give you a succinct answer yeah. um, because it is actually, um, it is quite a, um, well, it's a drawn out process. I think the most important thing in my practice is to meet with the family. And if it's a weekend, I'll usually come in you know, and speak to them and introduce myself and, 
and say to them, this is diabetes. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm 99% sure based on the glucose of 25 and the symptoms, but we will do some markers to confirm that that will come back in the next week. Mm. And then I, I, I prepare them for the fact that we're going to they're going to meet the whole diabetes team the educator the dietitian the social worker and that we're going to do some education so that they can get home safely but that this is a learning process that is is going to be conducted over several months um, but I also say to them look I know this is a shock to you but this is not the end of the world um, that, you know, I've looked after many young people with type 1 diabetes over a long period of time. They grow up, they lead normal lives, they go to uni, they, you know, they travel, they play sport. So I try to be quite positive. Um, and then we, you know, I say, look, we're going to put your child on, um, they're going to have finger pricks every three hours, they're going to have injections initially four times a day, but we can talk about other therapy, uh, which would be an insulin pump. Um, and and one, I guess one of the really good things in the, the modern era is, is that we now at, at St George Hospital put all of our children on a continuous glucose monitor before they go home. So that means that the parents can monitor the blood glucose level on their phone. Yeah. Um, they don't have to be doing eight finger pricks a day. Um, so there's a lot of peace of mind there. Um, and it, I think that's been a really positive move. We've had continuous glucose monitoring funded for young people now for about five years. Right. But we've really, and you probably may recall that before the election, there was an announcement that it was going to be funded for everyone with type 1 diabetes, which is fantastic. But what the really good thing is, is that we now can put kids on this uh, monitor. They change, it goes under the skin. They change it about every 10 days. And as I said, it can come up on a parent's phone or if they're a teenager on their phone mm. and they don't have to be pricking their finger all the time. That's awesome too. Like It is awesome, yeah. Peace of mind for the parents and, and also for the child too. It's a record of, you know, we find it hard to remember where our keys are. You know what I mean? As a kid, you're kind of busy doing everything. At least you've got your phone there, which most kids yeah and I mean everyone you know especially young older kids and adolescents they're all sort of so phone focused but you know in the old you know even five years ago we would be sending them home with a record book and they'd be writing in the readings and then they'd ring us up and they'd you know when they've gone home and they'd read out the readings from the book or they might scan them in and you know email them but of course now mm. because of remote technology we just log in so I can be at home or out for a run or whatever and the yeah. family ring me and I just log into my phone look at their readings you know we talk about the doses they're having sometimes yeah. they will actually enter the doses into that app and I go yeah this this looks good or we need to adjust the doses so it, it, it technology has revolutionized many parts of mm -hmm. health but it's I'm acutely aware of how much it's revolutionized diabetes management mm -hmm. the okay. best way to manage type 1 diabetes is to have injections when you eat carbohydrates, short-acting insulin, and then a basal or background insulin just to keep things stable. So that's probably the best answer to your question. Yeah, that's good. And I was, when I was chatting to Kobe, it was super interesting because um, just even, you know, his knowledge of food was expanded in terms of understanding how much things weigh and how much carbohydrates are in things. And um, it was really great to sort of see that um, the, the kids take on uh, their disease, but also take on knowledge of learning 
about it so they can be in charge of it. And I thought that was really powerful to watch him. Let's now listen to Tanil's thoughts on Kobe's diagnosis. I found these really, really interesting. Yeah. You're kind of thrown very instantly into how to manage it. So there isn't actually a lot of time to address your grief and yeah. how you feel about it and how you're actually going to mm. navigate. The train's going. Yeah. yeah, you just yeah. jump on board. Mm. All of a sudden, we've actually caught up to where the train's been rolling from. You yeah. know, and now we've got to roll with it. Yeah. And we have to start yeah. managing that. So, yeah. 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 Mm. Your previous job to Neil was a trauma case manager, so you managed on a different scale, but yeah. patients that had an event in life that was yes. changed by one circumstance, whether that's driving a car into a tree or falling down a ladder. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, you've all had all those conversations with patients. Yeah. Yes. Just a. Absolutely. Yeah. And. Like that link that you've made there is really interesting and it, it's definitely different being on the other side, mm. I think. Yeah, because mm. mm. yeah, you can see, like there's a process, um, I guess, for, for type 1 and it's probably the same for other diagnosis in the kids' hospital there, yeah. you know, and, and it would be in the, the adults' hospital. The, the education team, you know, it might be the stroke team or whatever. Though Those people come in, they've got a job to do. Mm. And you can see the process. Oh, we've got to tick this box and yep. tick that box. Um, so, right, well, and being on the other side of that, mm. well, I, I don't want this to be a process because no. this is this is our life now. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, taking that into your clinical practice is good. It's good. It was actually really nice to go through it in that sense. Yes. Um, mm. Because it, it adds to your cl- clinical practice. Yeah. 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 So there's positives in it as well, like lots of positives. And we met some beautiful people along the way too. Yeah. What does yeah. life look like now with like with this like with what's changed? Obviously, as you said before, the train's rolling. Yeah. You know, you've all got to jump on board. Yeah. All the kids have got to get on board that this is what's happening and this yep. is life. Yeah. As well as Mr. Champion over here to my left, who's got to make the changes himself. Yeah. Yeah. What does it look like now? Um Complicated? Yeah. 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 Um, there's a, a few more steps to just leaving the house yeah. um, or just going to bed at night time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and meals. Yeah. So, um, and you'll notice in our house, like, we don't leave diabetes stuff out. Yeah. It, it, we make diabetes try and fit our life. Yeah, cool. So we've tried to do that. Um, technology makes life a lot easier. Yeah, cool. Um, so, Kobe, we can see sugar. That's why it's cool. Yeah, while yeah. he's at, while he's at school and awesome. and during the night, um, but however, when we first when he was first diagnosed, um, we didn't have that technology available. So we it's like I remember asking the question. We had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to do finger stick uh, to do three his three in the morning, and that's every night. So if he doesn't have oh, dude. if he doesn't have that um, BGL monitor on, mm. um, it's a three a.m. wake up. Okay. Um, and I remember asking, well, how long do we have to do this for? So, well, that's it. You have to. That's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. And that's yeah. just to prevent the hypo. Mm-hmm. Um, I, thought it, I thought it was going to be just for a, a month so we could collect data to see what his sugars were, were doing. Just yeah. Management. It's just management. Yeah. 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 And I'll add on the podcast management of mm. diabetes type 1 stuff for people that are listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Is there anything you want to add? Um, just, I guess on the back yeah. of that, I would say that it's relentless. Mm. 
diabetes, type 1 diabetes doesn't take a break. Yep. Um, I think we've kind of been caught up with people who are intending to do good saying, is it under control now? But it never really it is. is under control. Yeah. And there's hundreds of decisions you're making throughout the day and night. Mm. We haven't slept a full night since wow. he's been diagnosed because we're either checking sugars or treating highs or lows. Um, so I guess, yeah, it's relentless. Mm. Mm. Last night, for example, uh, I didn't go to bed till about 12.30, quarter to one, um, because he was mm. sitting high. And that might have just been because his pump was... I don't know, his sight was failing at that time. It's the, at the end of its um, expiry, that, that particular sight. But, um, so I did three corrections to try and get his sugar down to in between four and eight, the magic numbers. So, yeah. yeah. And that's the other thing. Like We're both, I feel like we're both reasonably high achievers in our professions, yeah, right? Working, definitely <laughs> so to, to go... With management, uh, diabetes management, you can't be perfect. Yeah. No. Um, and that's mm. something that we had to go, we had to adapt. Uh, we can't We can't have it between four and eight all the time. It's yeah. not going to happen. Mm. So we, we just have to accept um, mm. sometimes that's okay. Mm. Um, and we're just doing our best. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I drove up your driveway and I was like, oh, yeah. I need to make sure I finish on a positive note. Yeah. Like, mm. But in the same token... I don't think, to my naivety, when I came up here, you know, so well and easy, I'm such a positive person, but it's not, I don't wake up at, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think for people listening, there's so many people that wake up and don't have to do that stuff, mm. but take it for granted, mm. complain about, mm. I don't know, complain that they only got eight hours sleep instead of, or you know, eight instead of 10, mm. you know, not realizing that there's kids out there that live with a range of different diseases Absolutely. that are there. Or yeah. different conditions that affect them living day mm. to day. Yeah, mm. that's right. You know, mm. Mm. I'm sure we'd love to throw it to someone else. You know, mm. absolutely. Throw the ball past the ball and yep. You know, throw a cut out past and not not receive something. Mm. Yeah, um, that's true. I think you're a brave kid. Um, so a quick recap: Kobe, age six, had progressive symptoms of polyuria. He also had increased thirst. Kobe saw his GP with his parents and he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He went to the Sydney Kids Hospital and spent a three-night admission with diabetes there. Once he was discharged, he had some life-changing things that were going to occur. You know, what was he going to do in relation to food? What was he going to do in relation to school? What was he going to do with his friends? What was he going to do when he was really, really hungry and just wanted to binge eat? So I asked Kobe a few questions and really wanted to find out how his diagnosis with diabetes type 1 had changed his life personally. So he goes. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit. Yeah. What happened after that, mate, when you've gone home and you're back at home? What types of things did you have to do that were different to before you went into hospital? Well, basically, I remember saying to mum and dad, will I be able to go home and just grab something and eat it? And yeah. they said, no, it's right. going to change. So okay. that was something that changed a lot and it was hard mm. um, to jab myself every time I had to eat something or mm. wanted to eat something but yeah what did you like to eat what do you like to eat what did you go for what would be a, if we had a full fridge and you ate something what would be something that you would have eaten probably a yogurt yogurt oh, that's pretty good mate <laughs> <laughs> I would have chosen something else <laughs> gee you're a pretty good kid I would have gone for something a little bit different yeah. but that's awesome <laughs> a yogurt cool alright I know you're poisoned now, okay? It's yogurts. 
Alright. Um, well, sorry to digress, that was funny. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, and you had to obviously inject yourself with a needle, which you never would have done before. Yeah, yep. it was quite different. Uh, I didn't like it. No. Um, it sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Did it hurt? Yeah, some of them, it was a sting. So a it sting. was like a sudden sting and it was just there. Yeah. just kind of started noticing it a lot yep. more. Yeah. At school, what about school when you're at school with food and trying to work out your sugars that at school? That was hard. Um, uh, every time at lunch, I would have to stick my finger and I would also have to give an injection and it wasted a lot of time when I just wanted to run out and play. 100%? But, yeah. What am I doing this for when I've got the playground to play at? Yeah, so that was yep. something that was really hard. Did any of your friends ever ask you questions about why you're doing that? Yeah, they yep. still do actually. Do they? Um, it's, yeah, yeah, they ask a lot of questions like, yep. why do you have to do it? What do you do? Yep. You know, what's it look like? Does it hurt? Does it this? Does it that? You know, yeah, stuff like that. I'm sure you'd have a lot of good responses. Yeah. I reckon you would now. You're a genius, mate. You'd probably take over my job and go to the hospital and do it for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, and since that, you're, you're a state swimmer. So in all those years, you've been spending a fair bit of time in the pool. You'd be using a lot of energy and you'd need a lot of food to keep your body where it's at. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. What do you want to be when you get older? What are some things you'd like to do when you get older? Um, well, for my job, I would like to be a tradie. Yeah. And I would also like to be an Olympian swimmer. So. Awesome. I'm sure we're going to see you on the TV, mate. That's good. Um, if you had a friend that had diabetes and they were diagnosed, let's say one of your friends that you play with down the park had to go to hospital and they got diagnosed with diabetes, what would you tell them? Um, there would be a lot of things I would tell them. Yeah. Probably it's, it becomes easier. Okay. It's, yeah, it's not that hard. You get used to it. It's kind of just an extra thing, really. Mm. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Have you had many experiences like that now, on, like, since that episode? Yeah. Yep. A lot. Okay. So, sometimes when I'm out playing with my friends, playing footy, uh, I'm running, mm. and then I just have to sit down. Okay. Yeah. So. Are you more prepared now that you've got diabetes in terms of like sport and activity and understanding yeah. stuff? So usually when I'm out playing footy, I'll carry my phone and a hypo treatment. Yep. And then with swimming, I have a hypo kit in my bag, just a container of lollies. Yeah. And then, yeah, so usually I just take that out, put it in my gear bag and yeah. Swim. Awesome. It's really cool. It's good. Mm. Seems like you're pretty organised, mate. I think I need yeah. you around, mate. Ask Maria, how does she tell parents and families that their kids have been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? Give them the basics. Reassure them. Why did this happen? It's not your fault. You've not done anything wrong. It's probably a virus. Final questions are, what are some of the misconceptions around diabetes? Well, I think the main thing is type 1 versus type 2. And, and, I, and I have heard a trillion times parents being so frustrated whether you know they, 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 they feel like they're blamed you know whether it's the grandparents or whoever the child got diabetes because it's what you fed them or you did something wrong okay. and and often 
parents feel really guilty. So for instance, you know, I didn't breastfeed my child, is, therefore did I get diabetes? Mm. That, that's not, that's not, this is an autoimmune condition, that's the term, where 10% of the population have a genetic predisposition and then a random event extremely likely to be a virus has set off this process and then eventually you know, their, their immune system has damaged the beta cells. Um, a lot of anxiety about low blood glucose levels in schools, not letting children do activities, um, not letting them go on camps or excursions because everyone's so worried about their blood glucose level going low. Mm. And continuous glucose monitoring has really changed that. And we really strongly advocate for the child to be treated completely normally in school, to be mm. allowed to do everything. And again, we fit the diabetes around their school routine, what, whether it's what time they do sport or what time they... You know, have little lunch and crunch and sip and whatever it's really about making the school normalize this child and not having a yeah. you know a sign on their forehead that says uh, type 1 diabetes i really enjoyed how maria was talking about you know making diabetes fit in with you and your family so i asked kobe you know does he ever have a cheat day or have a day off let me just have a cupcake or um, sometimes you say yeah. that kind of thing don't yeah. you yeah a lot of the time yeah. yeah. Or do you guys sort of go, oh, we're going to a party, you can... We, I mean, we try, <laughs> we try go. to... Um, <laughs> I'll join you on the last bit of yeah, 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 yeah. Get into it. Thank you very yeah. much. Can <laughs> <laughs> I have a bit of your insulin too while I'm here? Yeah, more needed. I need more than a bowl of cakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, like we try to yeah. plan, yeah. but... Like sometimes you just can't. Like the other day, you got out of the pool and someone was moving squads, so the parents had cupcakes and they just got yeah. cupcakes. So he just would have missed out if he'd gone yeah. and fetched his pump yeah. out of his bag. Yeah, that day I was like, man, we should be pre-bolusing yeah. all this, but but yeah. we just wanted him be. to eat it with just the rest be. of them. Mm. Just be chase the sugars. Like they're all just oh, here, have one. Yeah. It's like go for it. Yeah. So we'll fix it later. Mm. We just have to, you know, allow them to to be go. Good. Yeah. Are other parents aware of it? Like, are the parents, do you find that's hard as a parent that sometimes you're like, oh, gee, could you give it five seconds? Or do you think it's we, more people don't think about it? I just think, I think, I, like, well, I didn't think about it. Mm. So mm. I don't expect others to think about it. Yeah. Um, although, do, like, there are times when it'll be like, man, just five minute head start yeah. would be good. Yeah. But because he's had it since he was six, all mm. of, and he's gone through school with the same friends. A lot of his good friends' parents now are onto stuff. Like I've got friends That's that good. will text me, this is what I'm putting out for afternoon tea if the boys want mm. food or... Yeah, they're great. So, mm. yeah, it's better now. Yeah. It is hard though oh. in terms of planning. Mm. Yeah. What would you like other people that listen, like doctors or nurses or maybe other people to know about diabetes? Um, that it doesn't stop you. You can do whatever you want to do. It's just you might have to do a couple of different things. Wow, I think I need that on a t-shirt. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I think we could learn a lot from you, mate. I already am. Cool. Um, something good. Mm. Yeah, um, it's true. I think you're a brave kid. And, um, I've definitely come here and I've learned so much. I'll probably have a cry on the way home. <laughs> um, but I'm grateful that I got to meet you because I'm guarantee you. Yeah. I'd love to see you swimming the Olympics and <laughs> making everyone proud of your family. No matter what you achieve, You've achieved it already. Mm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Absolutely. Um, it was very interesting in reflection listening to this podcast, listening to every time that 
Kobe responded to a question. When I asked him, was it bad or hard? He would just say it's different. And I realized that Kobe is so resilient. You know, instead of saying it was horrible or bad, he would just say it's different. It just showed me his resilience, his ability to see the positive things in life and his ability amongst trials to find the good things. He is truly an exceptional kid and someone we can learn a lot about. I was also really excited um, even to listen to Maria talk about diabetes. You can tell she really, really, really loves it. So I just wanted to ask her the question, does she actually like it? Um, I sometimes ask people like personal questions like, you know, do you love what you do? But I can just tell by <laughs> talking about this <laughs> stuff and doing a PhD and it's something that you really find interesting. I do, and you have I, a do. I do. And also you do get very attached to it. You know, obviously I'm a mother, yeah. um, but you do feel like this is a, you've got this big family of young people and, you know, especially you know, there, I saw a boy on Wednesday who was diagnosed, um, you know, as a toddler and he's now finished school. You know, you, you follow that, you see these children every three months and you watch them grow up and you watch them, you know, win their golf tournaments or go overseas or whatever. And so you do feel like you're on this journey with them. Mm. Um, and, and I think the thing that I just, oh, I will, to finish is is that we are so lucky with the health system in Australia that we you know we do insulin's affordable CGM continuous glucose monitoring is is paid for families get the care allowance um, and a health care card until the young person turns 16 it, it, there is such enormous support for managing type 1 diabetes in Australia I mean we could do more but um, it's really fabulous great to appreciate what we have as well Mm, yeah yeah thank you so much for your time um I my really pleasure appreciate it any resources out there for people that have diabetes that you'd recommend for any parents out there or um look or jdrf the okay. juvenile diabetes research foundation yep. are really good yeah um and just gathering your support people yep. i think like we're on a facebook page with other carers of type ones yeah um and our own support mm. people because mm. it is a journey it's yeah. tough yeah yeah Mm. Yeah, and other type ones you meet, like uh, I know there's a couple of Ambos that I know that are type one. Yeah, and it's like it's just I don't have a bit of a kindred spirit there, you know. Yeah. So if you get, mm. I don't, I don't have it, but I, I understand what it's like for Kobe most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you have that connection. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah um, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, mate. Very articulate. Awesome. I'd like to say thanks to everyone who came on the podcast, especially you, Kobe. You're an absolute legend. Um, thank you to Sunil and Dave. And also thank you to Maria Craig. Um, this podcast wouldn't be you know, able to run if people didn't give up their time, so thank you so much. Um, any advice on the EDGM should not be taken over your local medical practitioner. And that's a wrap for another episode. You can follow me on Instagram at EDGM underscore podcast. You can find all the episodes on all your streaming services, iTunes, Spotify, and all the others. So please share it with your friends, family, anyone else. Um, I really appreciate everyone who listens to it and your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. Bye. I'd lastly like to acknowledge the traditional owners and elders of the Daral country on which this program was made. Um, it was recently brought to my attention via Instagram that I didn't have a welcome to country. Um, I want to say thanks to Sophie for pointing that out to me. Um, I'm really happy to keep doing it in the future. Um, this is how a community learns 
when we give feedback to people. So I'm really grateful for the feedback and any other feedback. I really love to hear from you guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers.